Hey, my name is Josh Korak. I'm a mental health counselor in the Northern Colorado area. In this space, I get the chance to interview professionals in the field, talk about mental illness, self-care, and so much more. With this show, I ask you to join me in doing what one of my favorite philosophers, a Buddhist monk, Thich Nhat Hanh says, smile, breathe, and go slowly. This is Care with Korak. Welcome back to Care with Korak. My name is Josh, and I'm really glad to have you here listen to this podcast. There's so many podcasts out there, and you chose this one, so thank you. Uh, thank you to my regular listeners for being patient while I get the rest of season two out here. It's hard, man. It's hard uh, doing all this editing, and, and on top of you know working a regular job, being a therapist, and keeping up with life and working on a few other projects, which I will hopefully be able to uh, announce soon. But um, gosh, yeah, the podcast just kind of fell through the cracks. And so I'm trying to keep up and man, I've got some some good episodes, new year, new episodes. So um, got a group of seven or eight more episodes, I think, to get to you guys. So today we have a really special guest, Mr. Ron D. Onbar. Uh, MDFAAP. Uh, Ron is board certified in both pediatric pulmonology and general pediatrics, offering hypnosis and counseling services at Center Point Medicine in La Jolla. I think that's how you say it. California. I don't even know where that is. I've been to California so many times, but uh, and also in Syracuse, New York. Uh, Dr. Onbar is also a fellow and approved consultant of the American Society of Clinical Hypnosis. Dr. Onbar is a leader in clinical hypnosis, and his 20 years of experience have allowed him to successfully treat over 5,000 children. He also served as a professor of pediatrics and medicine and the director of pediatric pulmonology at Sunny Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, for 21 years. Dr. Onbar also worked as a guest editor and advisory editor for the American Journal of Clinical Hypnosis. His experience has offered him the opportunity to direct and co-direct more than 20 clinic work more than 20 clinic workshops on the subject of pediatric hypnosis. Additionally, he has trained more than 1000 healthcare providers and lectured all over the world. In addition to his teaching and lecturing experiences, Dr. Onbar has been the principal investigator in 10 published case studies of pediatric hypnosis and involved in research trials of children with cystic fibrosis and other pulmonary disorders. He's a published author of more than 50 articles, abstracts, and book chapters on pediatric functional disorders and pediatric hypnosis. Graduating from the University of California, San Diego, with undergraduate degrees in biology and psychology, Dr. Onbar earned his medical degree from the University of Chicago Pritzker School of Medicine. He completed his pediatric residency and pediatric pulmonary fellowship training at the Massachusetts General Hospital and Harvard Medical School in Boston. Dr. Onbar received training in hypnosis from the Society of Developmental and Behavioral Pediatrics and the American Society of Clinical Hypnosis. In this episode, Dr. Onbar and I get to talk about what hypnosis actually is. So many misconceptions out there. Um, some, some really amazing and remarkable stories of 
his use of hypnosis in practice, and then just overall, how it can be used for healing and, and what the heck is hypnosis, right? So for more information about Dr. Onbar, visit the link in my bio at centerpointhypnosis.com slash doctor slash doctor dash Onbar. Uh, and make sure to check out his new book um, that he just published about some of his experiences in, in practicing hypnosis. Uh, the link for that can also be found uh, in my bio. Follow me at Josh Korak on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube for video clips, podcast previews, and more mental health content. If you are in a mental health crisis, please call 988 or go to your nearest emergency room. If you are from Colorado and are interested in scheduling a session, please reach out at sojourncounselingco.com slash josh or email me at josh at sojourncounselingco.com. All right, well, that about does it. Let's get back into it. Happy 2023, everybody. This is Care with Korak with Dr. Ron Onbar. Hey, hey, Dr. Anvar, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me here. No, thank you for taking your time. I know you're super busy. You're on a book tour right now, so I really appreciate you taking some time to sit with me and, and with my audience and we're talking about this idea of hypnosis. Excellent. It's a wonderful subject that few people, too few people know about. Yeah, and it, I'm, you know, I'm curious to, I'm sure we're going to talk more about this, but um, I know it has a long history, so it is interesting that there's not a ton of um, knowledge around this. So I'm very excited to, to dig into this. But why don't we just start off, kind of introduce yourself and, and tell us a little bit about your background and experience and, and who you are. Super. Well, I'm a pediatric pulmonologist. I take care of children's lungs. Um, I was classically trained, went to a medical school, University of Chicago, did my residency and training at Harvard Medical School. And uh, I ran into hypnosis about 25 years ago. I was uh, treating a young man with uh, asthma and terrible allergy to milk products. Interesting. Uh, twice he almost died from eating a milk product. Wow. And he came in one day and he said, you know, lately when I've been smelling cheeseburgers, I've been developing asthma attacks. Hmm. I thought it was rather strange sounding symptom, but I thought maybe like a milk molecule is wafting through the air and affecting his breathing, which it cannot do, by the way. I found really? It. Yeah. Interesting. And I said to him, well, can you imagine eating a cheeseburger? And he closed his eyes, and within seconds he was having a, a really hard time breathing. And the mm. thought that crossed my mind is, oh, no, he's going to have a significant asthma attack here. I said, stop it. And he did. And I said, you're kidding me. No, no, I couldn't breathe. He said, that was my asthma. I said, whoa, you can imagine yourself in, into an illness? And, of course, then the corollary is, can you imagine yourself out of an illness? And mm. later I found out that this was hypnosis, and that was my rather dramatic introduction to the field. So I uh, asked myself, well, how can I help this young man? I said, let me send him to a hypnotherapist who could teach him hypnosis, and then he could come and teach me what uh, he learned. I was interested in this because I've always liked psychology, and college, mm. one of my majors was psychology. And uh, my patient, whose name was Paul, he said, I don't want to go see a psychologist. I'm not crazy. I, I want to work with you. I said, that's really nice, but I don't know anything about this. And mm. he said, I don't care. Teenager. Right, So I right. went to uh, my friend, the psychiatrist, Dr. David Keith, at, at Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, where I was working. And I asked, can I, teach, can I learn about hypnosis and teach him? And can you back me up? And he said he would. 
Mm. And that's how I got started. I went and started reading about hypnosis. And it has a, a, a very long history, as you mentioned. We can get into that later if you like. And uh, I started practicing with Paul. And for a year, he was my only patient. We just did mm-hmm. a lot of different things together. I found out later <clears throat> there are uh, societies for hypnosis, such as the American Society of Clinical Hypnosis, where I received training. But I had the freedom of not knowing what I wasn't supposed to do in my first year of doing it. And that was good because I got to innovate. Um, mm. And some of, some of the things I talk about and teach about now are things I, got, I developed in the first year of doing hypnosis. Wow, yeah. So there's almost this freedom to explore, maybe try new things that maybe you, you wouldn't have even thought of if you were like fully trained, fully on this path initially to be a, a hypnotherapist. It was similar to how I was trained to be a physician. Back in the 80s when I, when I was in my training as a pediatrician, um, I was working at Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. And uh, I, was in, I remember the day after medical school, I'm there, and I'm in the emergency room. I'm the only doctor there. There's a mm. third-year doctor training, in training upstairs in the hospital, and all the attending doctors are not there. This is very different than today. And so you have to, like, fly by the seat of your pants, and you learn very quickly. It might not be the best of patient care, but you learn very quickly. And, and throughout my medical career, if something new came along, I just learned. That's right. You... Yeah, so you had this patient come and saying, hey, I need hypnosis, because it, it almost sounded like, like some sort of panic attack <laughs> or, like, something anxiety-based. Was that kind of what you found out? Well, in retrospect, it was, it was a panic attack. It, it mm-hmm. might have been a, a conversion disorder. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. Can because, you can you explain uh, for my audience who may not know what is a conversion disorder? A conversion disorder is one in which um, a patient has a psychological problem and can't resolve it, and then it's manifested or it's solved through physical symptoms. Mm. Um, so, for example, um, I saw a young lady once who developed vocal cord dysfunction. Vocal cord dysfunction is when your vocal cords, um, when you're tra- taking your breath in. Your vocal cords are supposed to open, but instead they, they close, so it's hard to breathe. And this is actually a fairly common diagnosis. As a pulmonologist, I would see uh, patients with this like twice a week. Frequently, they'd be triggered by stress related to exercise or related to competition. So teenage girls especially are competing really hard, and they try so hard, they close their vocal cords when they're trying to breathe, and that, of course, disrupts the exercise. Mm. This particular girl, she came at 12, and um, she, her vocal cords were closing when they were supposed to open, but it wasn't with exercise. It was all the time, including in her sleep. So um, at first, the doctors thought she had asthma because she couldn't breathe. Um, but uh, that's what doctors usually think, it's asthma. But it wasn't. It was the vocal yeah. cords. I taught her hypnosis to relax herself. And in most patients with vocal cord dysfunction, if you relax, the symptom is solved. It's just that simple. But mm-hmm. it didn't get better. I told her to go practice for a week. She came back, and she still wasn't better. I did an MRI scan to make sure she didn't have a brain tumor, and she did not. And I said, well, something is preventing you from getting better. Let's talk to your subconscious. And this is something you could do with hypnosis, is talk to the inner self. And I hope we'll talk more about that, because for some reason, most psychologists don't talk to the subconscious. And to me, mm. why don't just ask the patient to explain the problem? So... Her subconscious said that she saw her stepfather selling drugs, and she did not want the girl to tell her mother what she saw because um, that would create problems in the marriage. So she Mm -hmm. made sure she couldn't talk. Wow. This is an example of a conversion disorder. 
the girl didn't know what to do about it, but her body decided, well, just close her vocal cords so she can't talk and that'll solve the problem. That's amazing. I mean, amazing in, in one aspect, um, super sad in another. Well, once you know the reason for the conversion, you can fix it. So I yeah. talked to her about it and I said, can't you trust yourself? And the subconscious said, oh, probably I could. Uh, but if she starts talking about it, I'll make sure she can't talk again. I said, okay. And I asked, is that safe enough for you? And the subconscious said, yes. And right there and then, in the middle of hypnosis, the symptom resolved. Wow. I mean, how cool is it that, I mean, and again, I'm, I know we're going to talk more into this, but how cool is it that you get that very direct, this is fixed now? That yes. must be just something else. I mean, very cool. It's and interesting. You can't do that with medications, typically. Right, right. Well, no, uh, yeah, medication. It's it's especially when it comes to things like mental health. Um, it it typically can take up to weeks to even see any sort of uh, resolution in symptoms. Right. So that is right. that is a very special experience, I'm sure, especially as a as a provider um, client relationship. Right. Right. It became the favorite thing. Of what I did as a physician is being able to help people help themselves. Mm -hmm. I, I should interject early on here because some of your listeners may not have heard of much about hypnosis in the clinical realm. Hypnosis is not what most people think, right? So it's, it's not That was magic. my next question. What is oh, hypnosis, good. right? When I think of hypnosis, I think of um, – uh, I'm, I'm a big superhero fan, right? So I think of the Mad Hatter from Batman, right, who's got his – you know, he's got his watch. He's got his mind control hats and he's just always hypnotizing people. Uh, but that's, that's not hypnosis, right? So what is hypnosis? Right. So, so it's not mind control. It's not somebody controlling your mind. Um, it is a way of controlling your own mind better. Mm. And all hypnosis is self-hypnosis. Mm. Um, and it's not unusual. So if you daydream, that's hypnosis. If you're d driving down the road and gone three miles and said, how did I get here? That's hypnosis. Really? Yeah. That's, that's called highway hypnosis. Well, I have heard that before. And the way that in my training I've heard that described is those are dissociative states. Is there kind of a, uh, a similarity between what we call dissociation and what we call hypnosis? Yes, hypnosis is a dissociative state. Mm, interesting. Because, but it's not a pathologic dissociative state. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a way of separating the conscious from the subconscious. The way I explain to my patients, I tell them, I'm going to teach you how to park your conscious self. And so your subconscious can better express itself. And that's not just when I directly t interact with the subconscious. Really, most hypnotic phenomenon occur, uh, begin in, in a subconscious level. Hmm. So, for example, let's say you have a headache. And I teach you one way of getting rid of a headache is imagining uh, your, head, your headache is a particular color. And the patient will pick red. Now, what will your head feel like, or what color would it have once you feel better? Blue, okay? In your mind's eye, imagine your head as red and let it change to blue. And notice how when you make the change, you start feeling better. That's a simple hypnotic suggestion. Interesting. Well, that change is occurring at a subconscious level. Consciously, you have no idea what's going on, but subconsciously something is happening. So most hypnotic phenomena are occurring on a subconscious level. Mm-hmm. The subconscious the, being uh, not what we're fully aware of, not what we're completely unaware of, but somewhere in the middle. Well, sometimes you can be completely unaware. It's below okay. conscious awareness. Right? So sometimes so, it's unconscious. Well, so it depend, depends your terms. So un, some people call unconscious things that you can never become aware of, mm. like the autonomic nervous system functions. 
Um, so that, that, you know, some people say subconscious, preconscious. I lump it all as subconscious. Anything okay. below conscious awareness is called subconscious. Gotcha. Clinically, that's all that's necessary. Well, it's good, good for us to define. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah. So you, you're, we talked about earlier why people aren't using more hypnosis. And I think the fact that people don't understand it or are afraid of it, you know, an evildoer will make you do things. Or, you know, Hollywood has contributed to our belief of what hypnosis is. Right. Our misconceptions about hypnosis. So I think that's one of the reasons it's not used much. Another reason it's not used much is that um, historically people have made some fantastical claims about hypnosis. I mean, things mm. are, like you could self-diagnose whatever disease you have or that um, it could give you psychic powers. And, and that's uh, not what hypnosis is. So when people started making fantastic claims, people thought it was not real. And then the third reason I don't think hypnosis is used much is there's no, it, it's not perceived as a money maker. There's mm-hmm. no pharmaceutical company pushing, hey, prescribe hypnosis. Um, so in, in the medical realm and in the in mental health realm, uh, people, uh, it's not the forefront of what they know. Right. And, well, I'm I curious. Does, you have an, oh, sorry. I was just curious, like along with that, does insurance, you know, insurance can obviously be a big um, hurdle for, for clients seeking treatment. Is hypnosis even something that insurance considers? Uh, some insurance is being embraced for hypnosis therapy. However, um, I, I actually collect insurance for my hypnosis work, but I don't bill for hypnosis. I bill for counseling time. It's a form mm. of counseling. And yeah. as, a, as a medical physician, I can do that. Mm-hmm. You know, hypnosis is just one tool in counseling. Like I, I won't bill for, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy. Or, mm, true. You know, it's you know, it's an intervention. It's a form it's a of therapy. Right. You're not billing specifically for hypnosis. You're billing right. for the counseling. You're billing like, right. billing for that treatment. Yeah. Right. I'm not billing for positive psychology or right. Like behavioral therapy. It's just a bill for counseling. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to divert you, but so you're talking about just the three reasons that, um, or the few reasons that uh, most people don't use um, hypnosis right now. Right. So another reason I think people don't use it is it's not being taught in mm. in, the, in the medical schools or in the schools of psychology, uh, pr- presumably because the teachers have never used it. So it's, it's interesting. I, I guess an analogy would be in dentistry. I don't know, have you ever been exposed to laser dentistry? Do you know what that no. is? No. What is that? So laser dentistry is you, the dentist uses la- a laser in your mouth uh, both to numb your tooth because a laser will numb the nerve and to do actual dental work. And so um, if you have a cavity, you can, rather than using a pick, you can use the laser. Mm-hmm. And, and you can do this kind of dental work without any anesthesia and any discomfort. Like you sit there and you the tink in your mouth, you don't feel anything and you're fine. It's amazing. Well, it sounds first, amazing. <laughs> yeah. When I first had this experience, this about six, seven years ago, I said, wow, this is great. This is how dentistry should be. You know, people are so afraid of shots and pain. Mm-hmm. And, and this is like, That's me. Com- yeah, comfortable. So um, I asked the dentist, how, how long has this been around? Oh, 25 years. 25 years? How come not people aren't using it? Well, he said, um, first of all, if you're going to use it, you have to learn a new kind of dentistry because you're not touching the tooth the same way. Mm-hmm. And you have to spend $80,000 uh, buying a machine to deliver the laser. And most dentists don't want to go through their trouble. I said, okay, I understand that. So why don't they teach this in dental school so all the new dentists will know it? 
Oh, the dental schools are being taught by old dentists. They don't know about lasers. And I thought to myself, hmm, this is similar to what's happening in hypnosis. And we need to yeah. surmount it. I mean, the industry, if it can be painless, let's do it. Hypnosis that can help so many people, let's do it. Why, why are we waiting? But the truth is that uh, progress and change in, in health care, both medical and mental, is very slow. And uh, this is one reason I wrote a book recently. It's called uh, Changing Children's Lives with Hypnosis, A Journey to the Center. And I wrote it directed at the public. And I explained how I've used it over the last 25 years in my practice. And I'm hoping to help capture the public's imagination. And maybe the public will push the physicians to <laughs> get the therapy for their uh, mm. loved ones. Yeah. What would, that, what would that even look like? I mean, how do we start to bring... Uh, well, I have some ideas, but how do we start to bring more awareness to the subject of hypnosis? Well, I think this book tour that I'm on is one way of doing it. I speak to podcasters. I've spoken to radio stations, TV stations. I have blogging now uh, for mm -hmm. Psychology Today. It's getting the word out, I think. Uh, Which is how I found you. There you go. So it's working to, <laughs> at a low level, I guess. I'm, I'm hoping to get a national TV appearance. I think it's interesting and I've been doing this for several months now, this book tour, and um, most of the impact, the, the two things that impacted most in terms of uh, people responded is one uh, two-minute segment on a local TV station about an athlete who used hypnosis, uh, one of my patients, to become the star athlete on his high school football team. Uh, oh, wow. High school basketball team, excuse me. And uh, so that garnered a lot of uh, interest. And then uh, the Psychology Today blogs have, has gotten some interest. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Amazon ads have made a difference. But everything else, not much of a difference so far. I'm yeah. planting, planting trees, and maybe over time uh, more people become aware. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's just how anything goes, right? Um, so getting a better understanding of what hypnosis is, what do you actually use hypnosis to treat for? What can hypnosis help with? Well, that's a great question, and let's, let's take a, a step back and understand that anybody with chronic symptoms can benefit from hypnosis. Mm -hmm. Anyone with chronic symptoms. So we're talking about more than half the country. Let's start with that, and wow. let me explain why. If you have a chronic symptom, be it physical or psychological, it's going to, and you have a head on your shoulders, <laughs> you're going to react to those symptoms. Mm. Maybe you'll be anxious about them. Maybe you'll be depressed by them. Maybe you won't like the fact that they've changed your life. Okay? Once your psychology gets involved, it's going to impact on how the symptoms manifest themselves. So, for example, if you, uh, if you have uh, stomach, inflammatory bowel disease, so inflammatory bowel disease is, uh, is physical problems in your bowels, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, and you have a bad boss at work, when your boss bothers you, you're going to have worse stomach aches. Mm -hmm. Or you have this and you're worried that you have to always have a bathroom nearby. And if there's no bathroom, you get anxious and then your stomach ache gets worse. This is an example of how um, a real physical problem gets worsened by your psychology. And conversely, if you learn how to calm yourself, like my mm. cheeseburger kid, then the symptoms get better. So that's one set of patients. The other set of patients are people whose psychology caused them to develop symptoms. And that's a large number of patients. Uh, the boss at work can cause you to develop headaches. 
the bully at school might cause you to develop stomach aches. I mean, we're familiar with that. Uh, you're stressed mm -hmm. by your spouse, you get chest pain. If you go to the emergency room, more than half of the people who come to the emergency room have a psychological issue that triggered their symptoms. So you teach those patients to control their emotions, and then their symptoms sometimes go away completely. That's the main message. So anybody, so people with headaches, with stomach aches, with shortness of breath, with then there's bedwetting and anxiety and and depression and hair pulling, um, mm. smoking cessation, controlling your obesity, all those things can benefit from hypnosis. Yeah, that's amazing. So it's man. So what's really standing out to me is that um, it really focuses on this idea of chronic symptoms. And that more than half of people have chronic symptoms of something, like anything. Correct. Well, <laughs> people with acute symptoms, the symptoms that are happening right there and then can also benefit. My late friend, Dr. Dabney Ewan, was a burn surgeon, mm. and he would routinely use hypnosis for people with acute burns. In fact, he's told me that if somebody who is just burned uses hypnosis right away, such as telling themselves, I want to feel cool and comfortable, and comfortable, that would retard, would slow down the progression of the burn, sometimes would make a what's going to be a third-degree burn into a second-degree burn, or what's going to be a second-degree burn into a first-degree. So he, he was, a, and I believe him, I mean, he was, that was his specialty. So uh, people with acute problems can also benefit from hypnosis. The problem is getting someone there to teach them during the, the, problem, the crisis. Mm -hmm. I remember one time I was in an airplane. And I was writing a, a, a blog about physician's role. And up overhead, there's a, is there a doctor on board? <laughs> and like, oh, no. You never like answering that because you never know what you're going to get. Right? Mm, yeah. And, and, a, and another, and is there a doctor on board? I said, okay, I, I better fulfill my role. So I get up, and a 55-year-old gentleman is having chest pain. Mm. And I'm saying, I don't, I pediatrician, I don't know how to take care of this. So they get to talk to ground control there, the EMTs. They said, start an IV. <laughs> okay, so I, I fumble around and start an IV. They have that on the plane. I give him sugar. I said, okay, I, I do that. Now what? Uh, well, we're trying to we'll do an emergency landing soon. I said, okay. And I'm thinking there, what am I doing? How can I even help this guy? But then I mm -hmm. realized that my presence as a doctor, even though it wasn't my field, was comforting. And I... I put my hand on his hand and I said, you'll be okay, sir. And I just talked to him calmly, which wasn't formal hypnosis, but it's hypnotic. And mm. he, you know, he survived until we landed and EMTs took him off the plane. And so th that was, again, in an acute setting, we can, hypnosis can help so much. Wow. Yeah. So it can even help in those crisis kind of settings. Yeah. Um, it, so it, Again, what's standing out to me, that, so hypnosis can just look a lot of different ways, it's sounding like. Right. So, so again, the basic idea is using your imagination to help yourself in some way, but there's mm. many, many ways of doing it. And, you know, you can do a meditative kind of thing, um, like imagine a sailboat on your sternum, on your, on your breastbone, and watching it go up when you inhale and down when you exhale, and just focus on that, and that would cause you to calm down actually mm -hmm. for a physical reason because you're you're releasing chemicals that are calming when you breathe in that fashion um to i gave you the color change example like that's using a metaphor to talking to the subconscious and saying what's the problem here 
that's more direct approaches. There's yeah. A, so many different ways of using yeah. it. Yeah. But sounding like maybe the, the role of the imagination plays a really key factor in the use of hypnosis. Yes. The other key factor is that the person using it, that, that the patient, mm-hmm. wants to use it. Because, it, again, it's all hypnosis, self-hypnosis. So one of the things I learned early on is how important that was. After doing this hypnosis for two or three years, I kept detailed notes. And I looked back at all my patients over the time period. And I noticed that 85% of them improved. Not Some of them completely, but others just improved. But 15% did not improve. And I noticed that of the 15% didn't improve, what was common is these are ones who were ambivalent. They weren't quite sure Hmm. they wanted to do hypnosis. And when I first was doing hypnosis, I thought the power was in the words that, you know, do what I say, it'll happen. But no, the power is in the patient. So if the patient's Hmm. ambivalent, it doesn't work. So since then, I've learned not to do hypnosis in somebody who's, like, not sure. And my success rate in terms of improvement is probably 99%. If Hmm. you're going to do hypnosis, most everyone improves because most everyone has ability to control uh, their body with their mind. It's a matter of learning how to do so. Right. What are some of the ways that you kind of facilitate this then? Like, what does this actually look like in a general practice kind of setting? So after I explain to a patient and their family, if I'm working with a child, um, of how they could benefit and getting their buy-in, I will start with a simple exercise first showing the power of words. Hmm. And how it works is I'll have the child stand up, extend their arm to their side, and tell them, don't let me push your arm down. Let's see how strong you are. And then we'll repeat the exercise. But before I push on their arm, I ask them to tell themselves, I'm weak, I'm weak, I'm weak. And when that happens, their arm it goes down easily when I press down. Really? Now, you can try this at home, people. Do this at home. <laughs> yeah. Um, then I'll say, now, Sam, strong three times and repeat the exercise. And now the arm is strong. And I say, how does that work? And they figure out, well, what I say is what happens. I say, that's right. What do you think will happen if you say I'm not weak? And I'll have the child do that, say I'm not weak three times, and guess what? They get weak. They become weak. Hmm. And why Even is that? Even though they're saying I'm not weak. Correct. And why do you think that is? Because the mind is focusing on the word weak. Hmm. Yeah. So then we have a discussion about you want to say things in a positive way because what you say is what happens. Um, and so we'll practice. Like if you have a stomachache, how do you say that in a positive way? That'll usually puzzle the child. And I'll suggest the answer starts with I wish or I want. Hmm. So they might say, I wish my stomach didn't hurt. I said, no, no, that's not positive. That's what you don't want. What do you want? I wish my stomach felt better. Good. Now let's say you're scared about something. How do you describe that you're scared in a positive way? I wish I felt braver. That's right. And so Mm. the first homework assignment is learn to say things positively. And this is actually very powerful. I've had, it's the weakest tool I teach, but it's very powerful for some Right. I mean, to to some degree, it's just self-affirmations, right? It's just trying to learn how to be kinder to yourself, to say more positive things, and and maybe with more of an intention on what's actually going on that's causing you problems, right? But uh, it's interesting. Right, but one, one difference between affirmation and what I'm proposing is, an affirmation is saying things like, I'm smart, I'm handsome, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and the child may not believe that. And the idea mm-hmm. with affirmations is that if you keep saying, you might believe it. Um, I want uh, My idea is you want to 100% believe it. So 
rather than saying I'm smart, say I want to be smart. I want I to want, be or I wish I want to, be. to be healthy. So that's always true. Mm. So yeah. if you want it to be completely believable. So that, that's a first lesson. And uh, I've had patients come back after a couple of weeks and they're remarkably better. Sometimes their symptoms has resolved just with positive talk. Hmm. The next lesson, the second lesson, is typically how to do what's called basic hypnosis. So, now again, there are many ways of doing it, but what I do is I teach them how to relax with hypnosis as long as they like relaxing. Some kids don't. Right. The parents tell them, relax already. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, well, that's going to make me relax. Then we're going to do a happiness exercise. If they don't want to relax, do you want to be happy? So usually they say yes. If they say no to that, they're not really into doing working with you. Hmm. So... Um, I will teach them to relax with hypnosis by having them imagine a safe, relaxing place. Ask them to imagine what they might see, hear, smell, feel, and taste there. So using all their senses. And the reason for that is that it activates the whole brain. When, when you imagine a sense, the same part of the brain that actually senses those things uh, activates. You get increased blood flow there. Oh, wow. And, and I asked the kids... Um, why do you think we do this? And they say, well, it becomes more real in their imagination. I say, that's right. Then I'll walk them through progressive relaxation. Uh, I'll ask them what they're doing, maybe laying on the beach, maybe playing in the water, maybe hiking. Whatever they're doing is fine. And as they do that, I'm going to talk to them about relaxing from your head all the way down to your toes. Mm-hmm. Once we do that, this is an important part. I tell them they're going to pick their own relaxation sign. The lingo in hypnosis anchoring gesture, but that's not for the patient's a relaxation sign, and its purpose right. is to trigger your relaxation response. So they might cross their fingers, make a fist, uh, make a peace sign, their choice. And I tell they tell themselves in hypnosis, whenever I make my sign, it can immediately relax, even when I'm not doing hypnosis. So hmm. that's a post-hypnotic suggestion that they're making for themselves. It's a suggestion that will take place once they leave hypnosis. And then I tell them they can stay in their hypnosis, relaxed state as long as they want, a minute, an hour, a year. Time has no meaning. It's like a dream they're in charge of. And when they're ready to come back, I ask them to raise their hand. When they raise their hand, I'll tell them, well, um, you can should congratulate yourself for having an excellent imagination. Remind yourself to practice this every day for at least two weeks. This is a mind-body skill. The more you practice, the better you become at it. Um, remind yourself whenever you want to calm yourself without doing hypnosis to make your relaxation sign, and then tell yourself good things. This is when, mm. again, you can use the affirmations or positive talk. When you're in a hypnotic state, you're more receptive to suggestions, and the reason for that is that your conscious mind is sort of out of the loop, so it's not saying, no, I can't do that, just accept the suggestion, and then come back when you're ready. So that's generally how I teach hypnosis, and by virtue of just learning how to relax, Two-thirds of my patients with medical issues improve a great deal. Mm. And so it's, it's really a powerful tool that takes a whole 10 minutes to teach and can change a lifetime. Example, a um, 16-year-old boy came to see me with irritable bowel syndrome. He's had stomach aches for 13 years. He's been on had many medical tests, many uh, medications, didn't really help much. His life is derailed. He can't get to school before 10 in the morning because stomach aches. He wow. can't go to after-school activities because stomach problems. Mm-hmm. Life's derailed. I teach him what I just told you. 
I also taught him to interact with his subconscious. That would be the third lesson. Okay. Um, and within three weeks, his symptoms are virtually gone. Wow. This was uh, 20 years ago. I just contacted him recently. I asked permission to use his name in my book. <laughs> so he, he's, yeah. still, he's doing fine 20 years later. And he's still doing good. No, no symptoms. He has occasional symptoms, but he takes care of them. He just relaxes. Right. He's fine. Wow. You know, this is why people need to understand this. There are people out there suffering, and they don't even realize there's a solution. And their doctors don't realize it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is just – I'm trying to process it all. Um, I mean, just this just sounds super healing, right, for those who are really just struggling, like you said, who don't even think there could be a solution. And the best thing about it, or one of the best things about it, is that people do it for themselves. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine you're working with a teenager who now understands he can help himself, how empowering that is, how much oh, confidence yeah. that builds? I mean, they must be feeling on top of the world now, especially mm-hmm. as somebody younger. Right. Hmm. That's so special. Yeah. So getting more into some of the groundwork you do with basic hypnosis, right? At what point do you start to do more work with a client or a patient who isn't benefiting from what you're kind what you're calling this basic hypnosis? So in a third visit, so I told you about the first visit with the words, the second visit mm-hmm. teaching the basic hypnosis. And and most will start improving some. Uh, if they they haven't, there's a problem already. Mm-hmm. Uh, either either um, you're dealing with a conversion disorder that you have to figure out the out underlying issue, or they're not really you don't have a good relationship with the client. But most patients start right. But if they're not resolved, then the next step would uh, sometimes is starting using starting to use different metaphors, different ways of talking to the subconscious, um, or you can teach the patient to talk, interact directly with their subconscious. Typically, I do that. And there are different ways of doing that. The simplest is through what's called idiomotor signaling. Idiomotor means um, muscle movements without conscious control. So like the muscles have their own ideas, but it's really under subconscious control. And you can teach the subconscious to interact with you as a therapist or the patient themselves by moving fingers. Hmm. One finger can rise to indicate yes. One finger can rise to indicate no, and one can be, I don't want to say. And then you can ask questions, yes, no questions, to help figure out what's going on. And you might ask, for example, um, do you know what's going on with the patient? And if subconscious is yes, you can say, could you please tell the patients what's going on? And then the patient will say, oh, this is what's happening. It could be as simple as that. Wow. So have you, uh, you know, talking with clients and patients after um, they go through these experiences, what are they saying in terms of, like, is it this what we think of as a hypnotic state where they're just completely unaware of what's going on? Or what's the experience like for the patient during that? Well, it varies. The The basic hypnosis going to a relaxing place. They, they will typically remember it, and they'll say, mm-hmm. I feel much more relaxed. And uh, and some people will say, I'll never, I've never felt so relaxed in my life. And I say, wow, that's after one session. Imagine what happens with practice. Right. Um, the subconscious stuff... Depending how you do, they sometimes don't remember. So if, if you, if for example, you set up a system where the subconscious talks to you verbally or types for you, subconscious can type, um, top, typically patients do not remember that. Uh, sometimes they want to know what happened. But when I first started doing this, I was shocked that the majority of patients do not want to know what the interaction was like. Really? 
which is really interesting. It's counterintuitive. You'd think if you talked for an hour and didn't remember it, you'd want to know what was said. And I think the reason they don't want to know is that if you've dealt with psychologically difficult material, they're not that they're not ready to face yet. They they don't want to know. Mm, it's almost they, like, like an totally avoidance thing. Yeah, they're disinterested. No, not interested. So so um, in many of those patients, my role over the coming weeks and months is to prepare their their conscious to become a being ready to uh, understand what's going on. Uh, but sometimes that's not necessary. So sometimes patients can get better uh, without knowing what the problem was. And a boy who taught me that was an 11-year-old boy who came to me with shortness of breath. Hmm. And uh, his subconscious said the reason he developed shortness of breath, this was in typing, was because his father was push, pushing him too hard in sports. But I didn't want to tell the father this because... Um, he was afraid his father would leave him. The parents were never married. The father had um, heart disease. The mother had cancer. And they lived across the street from one another, and this was the kid's fear. When he came out of hypnosis, had no recollection of what he had said and didn't want to know, mm-hmm. which I respected. So I kept seeing him for a number of months, and every time he came, I wanted to help him sort of figure out this was the problem, and maybe talk to his dad, but he wouldn't. At one point, I offered to show him what he typed, he said, okay. I showed it to him, and he, he got really upset. I didn't type this, he said. Okay. Another time, his father came with him. And I said, is it okay if I can talk to you about your father? He said, yes. I said, is there a reason a boy might be mad at his father? He starts to cry. I said, oh, getting somewhere. I said, you're crying. He said, yes. I said, how does that make you feel? It makes me feel better. Why? Hmm. Uh, the tears on my cheeks are cooling me off. Talk about refusal to have insight. Mm. After a few months, he said, okay, we're done. He was no longer short of breath. I'm going to come back. I said, great. How did I help you? He said, we talked. I'm thinking we never talked about the real issue. I said, can I show you what you typed? (laughs) He said, yes. So I showed it to him again. Yeah, I typed this. And he was laughing at his typos. And I said, what about the part that your father was pushing you too hard? He said, oh, he stopped doing that. Maybe I dropped enough hints. Now, that boy taught me that you don't need to know what's going on in your subconscious, and things can be resolved without knowing. Right. Wow. I mean, this is just super, super interesting. I just, I don't even know. There's just so many things we could talk about with some of this. Um, I'm curious, you know, looking at this from what maybe, again, a general population knows about hypnosis, uh, how does this compare this, you know, hypnotic state where we're not, your, your patients aren't remembering what's going on? How does that compare to when we think of, again, these people out there who are doing hypnosis to people out on the streets for fun, for entertainment? Like, is that even comparable or what's happening in those situations? Well, in the situations where, like, the magicians do it and people do it for entertainment, I mean, the hypnosis is taking place, and the charisma or the authority of the hypnotist, and we'll call, call them hypnotists in quotes, because right. only real hypnotists are the patients themselves, but they, they, the, the authority of the hypnotist makes the people believe that they have some power, and then they act accordingly. If you believe you're going to be hypnotized, you can be hypnotized. There was a, there's a famous study of um, 
they were testing hypnosis in an experimental setting, and there was a tape where patients listened to to become to get into hypnotic state. And uh, and they did the experiment. And one day, several patients um, did the experiment and got results. And the researcher figured figured out that the tape that they were listening to that was supposed to hypnotize them was not the hypnosis tape. It was music tape. But oh, they wow. became hypnotized anyway. <laughs> oh, because man. they expected to be hypnotized. Mm. So I think what you get in hypnosis of entertainment is people are hypnotized. They're doing it to themselves, but don't realize it because they expect it. And then the hypnotic suggestions um, are powerful. You know, if you take them in, you can cluck like a chicken if you want. You can faint. You can fall asleep, appear to fall asleep. The sleep you see in the stage hypnosis is not real sleep, and you know it's not real sleep because when they say wake up, they wake up. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but to some degree, where, there's there's some authenticity in what we're seeing. There is, but the the underlying message is somebody can control your mind, or 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 somebody can cause you to do phenomenal things. And the truth is, you can control your mind. You can do phenomenal things. You can mm. heal yourself. You can better yourself. You can become more creative. You can become a better athlete. It's all in your control. And that's what we need to teach. Right. Well, so you just recently wrote this book. You're on a book tour right now. Um, could you tell me just a little bit more about what all your book entails? Um, obviously, I'm sure it's talking about what we've already talked about, but um, tell me a little bit more about it. Yeah, I think we cover my book pretty well. So the book starts off explaining how I got into hypnosis. Mm-hmm. And then we talk about how uh, the words have power. Um, so one of the stories in the book is about a six-year-old boy who had seizures from birth. He had a brain bleed uh, when uh, he was young, uh, just after birth, and that caused brain damage. And he had like seizures three times a month. Oh, wow. And I was seeing him for his asthma and his stomach aches, but I wondered if hypnosis could help seizures, and I asked his mother, would it be okay if I taught him some hypnosis? Now, six-year-old hypnosis is very different from what I described earlier, which is more appropriate for uh, uh, elementary school children and adolescents right. and adults. Six-year-old hypnosis goes like this. Who's your favorite character? SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> I hate SpongeBob, but he's helping me my patients. <laughs> Um, oh, there's what a is sponge, What is SpongeBob made of? A sponge. And what makes him a sponge? He has holes in them. Okay. So every night before you go to sleep, put SpongeBob on your head. And if the storm comes, let it go through the holes instead of sticking around. That was it. That was the hypnotic suggestion. Mm. It, was, it took a whole minute or two. So every night, boy would... First, he put on his SpongeBob toy, but it was pretty sure it was an imaginary toy. And he suddenly would wrap it around two or three times his head and tell himself, if a storm comes up through the holes, and he hasn't had a seizure since. It's been eight years. Wow. I contacted him for the book as well to get his permission to put the story in. Sure. So now his EEG, his brain waves, are still abnormal, but he doesn't have any overt seizures anymore. Power of words. That's the second section of my book. The third section is about the subconscious and different ways to interact with it. And, um, you know, the subconscious is a source of creativity. Mm. I've had poets. I've had musicians. I've had artists who gain all this information from their subconscious. It's really interesting. I think I think that most creative endeavors happen at the subconscious level first. J.K. Rowling tells a story that she was riding a train, and one day the whole Harry Potter saga came fully formed into her mind. Right. Her subconscious. 
And then the last section of the book is about the power of spirit. Uh, we haven't talked about that yet. Um, mm. I find that teaching patients a spiritual perspective is healing. And I think that's, again, somewhere we are very remiss in Western medicine and in Western mental health. Right. And a lot of uh, clinicians say, well, that's not my realm. Go talk to your priest or something. But I think that's wrong. I think um, having a spiritual perspective uh, is healing because it puts the st- stresses you're dealing with into some perspective. Like, you know, will this matter a year from now? Is a good mm. kind of spiritual question. Um, and spiritual doesn't mean religious. If, if you have a patient who is religious, use that. Have, right. Let them pray to God to be healed. Why not? I mean, that's, that's their belief system. But what I find is when people learn about their subconscious and realize the subconscious is a seed of a lot of information and wisdom that they may not have had before, that's a spiritual encounter. And by keeping that in mind, they can put things in perspective. You know, I would interview the subconscious and say, um, what do you think about the patient's problem? And the subconscious may say, well, it's not really a problem. It's going to resolve it. It has the wherewithal to say that, and that can be calming. Mm-hmm. Another thing you could do with the subconscious is actually invite them to have spiritual experiences. So, for example, um, a young child who's lost a loved one can use hypnosis to imagine interacting with that loved one, and that's always a healing experience. And uh, following such experiences, the youngster will often say, oh, that that was real. And then they, they change. The grief may lift dramatically, or they may have a much better uh, calmness, calmness in dealing with, with their loss. And that's a spiritual therapy that hypnosis can allow, can facilitate. Right. Wow, what a cool realm where it really does approach it from a holistic um, standpoint, right? We're not just pulling from the psychological, we're not just pulling, pulling from the biological, we're, it's, it's everything. It's psychological, it's biological, it's spiritual, it's socially, it's, it's all these different components that you're pulling in. And, and it's, we should say they're all one, right? I mm-hmm. do, we're, we're not physical and then there's a mental part to us, and then there's a spiritual right. part. They're all connected, all part of the same thing. Right. So I think in treating clients and patients, you really want to treat the whole person. Mm-hmm. I think the, one of the problems with having diagnoses is that provi- healthcare providers, mental health providers, treat the diagnosis. Yep. That's mm-hmm. not treating the patient. And the right. diagnosis can be really harmful, especially if the patient or therapist believes it. <laughs> because, for example, if you make a diagnosis, and it's incomplete or incorrect, and you as a therapist keep treating the diagnosis, mm. you're missing the boat. You're, and the patient's not going to get better. Or the patient believes diagnosis and be- starts acting that part. Patients will say, well, you know, I have autism, so I can't get better. Or I'm, I have bipolar disease, so that just explains my behavior. I have no um, reason, I have no responsibility for my behavior. Well, that's not true. Right. You, you've got your set of, abilities and disabilities and you need to work with them and do the, your best with them so mm-hmm. i find diagnosis limiting and i i tell the patient let's just talk about your challenges and how to overcome them 100 percent. how do you see that uh presenting as a challenge right now with just the you know this is something that's been coming up more for me as a as a provider uh, with my clients especially working a lot with kids as well um, things like TikTok and Instagram and all these social media sites that there's been an uprise in the amount of videos going out of different people saying, 
this is what ADHD is. This is what DID is. This is what autism looks like. And then all of a sudden these clients are like, oh, well, I, I have autism, right? I have dissociative identity disorder, right? All these kind of pretty severe um, or sometimes uh, severe um, disabilities or, or illnesses even. And uh, so I'm curious how maybe you've been confronted by this in your practice. So, you know, since the advent of Internet, this has been an issue. Yeah. Uh, before before TikTok and all that stuff, patients will come in. Well, I read on Internet that this is how you should treat my condition. And I want to say, well, then have the Internet treat your condition. Don't come and ask me what I want, what I think. Mm, fair but, enough, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there's a lot of misinformation, obviously, on the Internet. Mm. And um, one of the things I think has been really helpful is to – for me in conceptualizing and to teaching my clients is the idea that um, there is a gradation between quote-unquote normal and disorder. Mm. So if you have obsessive-compulsive tendencies, that does not mean you have obsessive-compulsive disorder. Disorder right. means it's affecting your life in a bad way. So you know, if you have anxiety, that can be really helpful. It might make you study more or mm -hmm. be more careful when you drive, it's a disorder if, it dis if you can't drive because you're too nervous mm -hmm. or if you can't study because you're too nervous. So making that distinction has helped a lot of my uh, children I work with understand, no, they don't have a disorder. They have some tendencies, and that's fine. A tendency can be very helpful. Mm -hmm. Being compulsive would be very helpful if you're an accountant and double-check your figures. So um, that, that's mm -hmm. been really helpful for a lot of my clients. Uh, the other thing I talk to them about is especially after the examples of how they can talk themselves into being weak or strong, and they realize how suggestible they are, I talk to them, be careful. You just take it in. It becomes your reality. Is that what you mm. want? Do you want this reality? So no, then, then be careful what you expose yourself to and don't accept everything you hear. Right. Yeah, well said. Um, you know, I'm interested. This is a little bit of a, a side trail, but... Um, I'm interested if we could speak more. When when I've been doing research, um, t so typically I do a lot of work with trauma. So um, I'm I'm a certified trauma professional, whatever that means, and uh, do cognitive uh, processing therapy um, for trauma. And so I've been kind of looking at like where do I want to go next in terms of uh, treating trauma. And so you know I've heard things like EMDR, um, neurofeedback, things like that. And one thing I've heard and has been recommended is hypnosis for the treatment of trauma specifically. Um, when dealing with things like dissociative identity disorder, which, as we know, can very much result from extreme um, trauma, right? Uh, can you speak to that at all? What does hypnosis look like in the treatment of trauma or dissociative disorders? So um, I think you, you want to uh, be careful in that setting um, because hypnosis can potentially worsen dissociation because it mm. is a dissociative experience. So you right. want to know what you're doing is, is the first thing. So take training and hypnosis. But I think having a dissociative identity disorder is not a, a contraindication doing hypnosis. You just to have to be more careful. One of the things that I find extremely helpful is to ask um, the patient's subconscious, is it okay to go the, down this line of therapy? Mm. So the subconscious sort of guides you. Yeah. I think when people get in trouble with hypnosis sometimes it's when they like force the idea on the patient. I think if you are gentle and ask, is this a good idea, you get actually guidance. The patients will guide you through it. Hmm. Um, 
So, for example, if I was dealing, and I don't have much expertise, uh, I've dealt with some patients with, I guess, could have been called DID, but some people see DID everywhere. Uh, but I've, I've dealt with patients with, who have different voices, and mm-hmm. I don't label it because right. I think that's a Trying bad thing. Trying to avoid the diagnosis in general. Um, and again, I think that being able to dissociate is what is normal in hypnosis, right? So it's mm-hmm. not a DID. It would be if you dissociate and couldn't reassociate, that would be a disorder. So when they have different voices, you know, sometimes we'll have group therapy. We'll talk among the voices. Uh, we'll find out do the voices want to join or not. Hmm. Um, uh, find out the role. Find out what their purpose is. Help define. And um, here's an example. A 12-year-old girl um, had a ghost come to tell her, tell her, or a ghost came to her every night telling her to kill herself. Wow. And try it. Why she actually tried to do that? She had been in a psychiatric hospital a couple mm-hmm. times, and she was sent to me for anxiety. It was sort of strange as a pulmonologist, but I was doing hypnosis, sure. Right. Talked to subconscious. Subconscious explained that this ghost was coming, and, and then I asked the girl, um, "Would it be okay for me to talk to the ghost?" Because I do not shy away from voices. I, I think they're rich source of material. So to say it's crazy or to try to suppress it with antipsychotics, which is what the girl was on doesn't really solve the underlying issue. And the girl first said, well, she can't bring the ghost. And, the <clears throat> and I said, yes, you can. And the ghost came. I couldn't see the ghost. And I asked her, the ghost, through the girl, is it true you want the girl to kill herself? And the girl, ghost said, yes. I said, how come? Hmm. The ghost says, she's had a horrible childhood, and I want her to be able to relive it. I can kind of understand the ghost logic there. I said, well, I'm helping her cope with her horrible childhood. And when she dies of old age... When, not if. When she dies mm-hmm. old age, she can relive her childhood should she choose to. And the ghost said, okay, that works for me. And she said, I'd like to become her guardian angel. Hmm. I turned to the girl and said, would it be okay if she became your guardian angel? The girl said, uh, yes, as long as I don't have to see her anymore. She spooks me. Hmm. I said to the ghost, is that okay with you? She said, yes. I said to the girl, say goodbye to the ghost. And that was the end of the ghost. Never seen again. We took her off all her antipsychotics. Half a year later, she was discharged on Prozac only. Wow. So that's an example of therapy um, and a potentially traumatic experience. Uh, one other therapy I think it's quite useful is to revisit the trauma in a safe way. Mm-hmm. Uh, by safe way, I mean either maybe just a subconscious goes to it, so the conscious is not aware of it, or imagining it on a, on a movie screen, or imagining it in a crystal ball, but just some separation, because you don't mm-hmm. want to you don't want to re-traumatize the patient. Right. And then having the patient teach the younger self, the traumatized self, how to do self-hypnosis, how to calm themselves. Mm, wow. And then have them relive the trauma in their imagination, as if at that time they knew how to calm themselves. Hmm. And when they complete that exercise, they'll say, oh, that felt different. And if they've had repeated traumatic experiences related to the initial event, I'll maybe have them check out another memory and see how it works now. And oftentimes this is very healing. They, they recover very quickly. Um, there's some studies that suggest that using propranolol, which is a mm-hmm. blocker, a beta blocker, right. and keeps your heart rate down, when you're exposed to a traumatic event, prevents you from developing PTSD. Hmm. And I like to imagine that when we do hypnosis and relive the event and teach the child to remain calm in the memory, 
that it helps resolve the PTSD. Yeah. Hasn't been studied. This, I've been doing this, but I know studies. Right. I'm aware of that, that have shown this to. But you're seeing it work. work. Yeah. I, it works. Yeah. How amazing. I mean, what just – I'm excited to read your book. I mean, there just sounds like so many amazing stories of, of success and healing that you've been able to find through this. Um, I'm curious. How do you use hypnosis yourself? Like how um, do you use this in your own personal life? Great question. So I use it for sleep, to fall asleep. Mm-hmm. I use it at the dentist's office to uh, become more comfortable and even to uh, slow my bleeding from gum mm. work. Um, I use it in my clinical practice. I, I uh, sometimes, well, I'll slip into hypnosis pretty easily. So I'm working with a patient and like I'll come up with questions that I know are for my subconscious because I, I'm later when I reviewed it, I said, how did I even think of that? Because it just flows. And sometimes I'll actually go into a light trance to ask myself, which what should I do next with, hmm. a, with a client? And so um, I, I've learned to trust my subconscious. So I, I can offer to a patient not just my knowledge and background, but um, really my, my inner, yeah. inner resources as well. Yeah, which just makes you all the more of an authentic um, human being, right? When you're not just do, telling your clients to do this, but that you're practicing this yourself and seeing success from that as well. Right, and that helps them buy into it if you're using it. Right, right exactly. I used hypnosis. I used hypnosis uh, 12 years ago to help me lose 70 pounds. Oh um, wow! Weight reduction, yeah. Yeah, well, you heard it here first, folks. You know, struggling with weight, <laughs> go get some hypnosis. <laughs> you can. That's actually often used. For, hypnosis often used for really? weight loss. Yeah. Wow! So again, just so many applications. It's mm-hmm. amazing. Well, cool. Well, I want to respect your time. I know we went a little bit over, um, but one way I like to end this is just any kind of uh, general words of wisdom for my audience. Um, what would you pass on to us? The general word of wisdom is that inside you, you have resources to tackle any obstacle that you might face in life. Mm-hmm. Know that if you're having trouble finding them on your own, seek some help. Um, and recognize that there, you have abilities that are yet to be uncovered and you can spend a lifetime uncovering them, but go for it. It makes life so much more fulfilling and exciting. Yeah. Well said. Thank you, Dr. Anbar. I really appreciate your time. You're very welcome. Mm-hmm.